The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Hi, I'm Dr. Mellon. Um, the dog's names are Beef and Agnes. They came that way. You can't change an adult dog's name. It's rude. <laughs> Thanks for having me speak this morning. Um, as uh, they were asking me if I would speak in chapel, I thought to myself, shoot, I know exactly what I'm going to have to speak about. Because... Um, Something's been rolling around in my mind for about two years now. Some of you know, because I've told you that what I do for my own quiet time in the morning is I copy the text of the Bible. I went to Cairn as an undergraduate, so I am very well versed in how to read the Bible quickly because it's due tomorrow, right? <laughs> and I realized that uh, I needed to find a way to slow myself down so that I could relearn how to pay attention to the text. So maybe about eight to ten years ago now, I started copying the text. And since I was a Karen student, I decided to go with the Hebrew order of the Old Testament, not the English order. So I started in Genesis, and I'm currently in Psalms. Stay tuned for a finish around 2050, okay? So I just have a whole pile of notebooks, and I just copy 8, 10, 12, 15 verses in the morning, and it's awesome. I have a nice pen, smooth, doesn't scratch, and, and I spend time with the Lord that way. And since I'm doing Hebrew order, a while back, uh, I found myself in Jonah, and I was copying along on day one, and I get to the end of chapter one, and Jonah's in the fish. And I thought to myself, what is left in this book? And wow, over the next week, did the Lord teach me a few things. So that's what I'm going to share with you this morning. But first, let's pray. Father in heaven, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight this morning. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So for those of you who might be unfamiliar with the story of Jonah, it's one of the, one of the really good Old Testament stories. They're all good. Some are just more good. Okay, so, so we have God. And we have his prophet Jonah, and we have this wicked city, Nineveh. They're Assyrians, okay? The Israelites don't like them. And God is really angry at Assyria because they are wicked. And God tells Jonah to go and preach repentance to Nineveh. And the text tells us, Nothing about what Jonah said, but what Jonah did was go in the exact opposite direction and get on a ship and not do what the Lord told him to do. So he's on his ship in the middle of what I guess is the Mediterranean, 
and God sends a storm. The text actually says that God hurls a storm at the ship. And the sailors on the ship are like, what? This isn't a normal storm. And so they're throwing all their cargo overboard. And then they're trying to figure out what, what's going on here. This is, this is not normal. We can't, we don't know how to weather this storm in this boat. We're going to die. So they start casting lots or drawing straws, which is not really a thing that we do today anymore. At least I haven't done it in quite some time. They need to figure out who's the culprit here and why this storm is here, because clearly this is not a normal storm. This is a storm from a god. And they've been praying to their gods, and it's not working. So whose fault is this? It's the Bible, so the truth comes out. It's Jonah's fault. And he explains to the, to the sailors that he's running from God because he doesn't want to do what the Lord wants him to do. And the sailors say, how could you do this? Which... Uh, I grew up in France, so when I get indignant, it comes out in French. And it sounds something like, Mais qu'est-ce que tu fais là? Because this is so dumb that Jonah's running from his God. Okay? And so the men try to row back to, the, to shore, and they can't. And, and finally, Jonah says, You're, you need to throw me overboard. Because that's what's going to calm this storm and save your life. And they say no, and then the storm's still going on, and they finally do it. Okay? So they throw Jonah overboard, and the seas calm. And two things happen. We're at the end of chapter one here. They pick up Jonah, they throw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the sailors feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And then the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. And if you don't know your Bible, you get to that fish part and you're like, what? This is great. Okay? So the Lord saves the sailors. The seas become calm. And he also saves Jonah, who's literally drowning in the sea. Okay? And this is not under the sea, the little mermaid with Sebastian the crab. Okay? This, is, this is Jaws. Okay? This is deep, dark, cold. Okay? Symbolically, Jonah is dead while still being alive. And the Lord sends the first rescue submarine to save him. Okay? So now we're in chapter two. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm copying, there's nothing left. Well, that's totally not true. So here we're in chapter two. And after three days in the fish, I don't know what he was doing for those three days. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. He says, I called out of my distress to the Lord and he answered me. I cried for help from the depths of Sheol and thou didst hear my voice. For thou hadst cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. 
and all thy breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from thy sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward thy holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But thou hast brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to thee, into thy holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to thee with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. My paraphrase of Jonah's speech there to the Lord is, thank you for saving me from drowning. I was in a bad spot and you rescued me. I will follow up on my vow. He doesn't say, I'm sorry, I didn't go to Nineveh. He says, thank you for letting me or for keeping me alive and not letting me drown. And the Lord listens to Jonah. He hears him. Okay? He's his prophet. And the Lord hears his children. And he causes the fish to vomit Jonah onto the land. Rescued. Okay? So the events pick up again in uh, chapter 3. And this time... Jonah actually goes to Nineveh because the Lord tells him directly to do it again. And this, uh, the beginning of chapter 3 tells us that Nineveh is this great city of three days walk. And we're not super certain what that means, but we think it means big. Okay? And that Jonah starts walking through the city and preach, and he cries out, and he says, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And he gets one day into the city, and the city repents. So, regardless of what three days walk means, he didn't even make it the whole way around. Nineveh listened to Jonah, which means they listened to the word of the Lord, and they have a full-blown repentance. Listen to the text. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And when the word reached to the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, and he laid aside his robe from him, and he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in the ashes. And he issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we may not perish." Nineveh, as a whole, turns from their wicked ways and the violence of their hand because they are so 
struck by this message that Jonah brings to them. They repent before God. God lets them live. Okay? The end of the chapter says, When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. What do you think Jonah says about that? That's what chapter 4 is about. And I think the meat for us of, of this story is in chapter 4. So we're going to spend a while unpacking this. I think Jonah at this point has forgotten that he spent the better part of last week in the stomach of a fish. Okay? Because he looks on Nineveh and he is not happy that the Lord has spared them. Okay? Pay attention to Jonah's emotions in this chapter. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. And here's my paraphrase of that one. I knew this was going to happen, and so that's why I disobeyed you. And if I can't be the mastermind of this situation, I don't even want to live. It's kind of like an adult temper tantrum, okay? And he's trying to justify his own sin. And he's pretty adamant about it. And then God asks him a single question. Do you have good reason to be angry? Do you know what a rhetorical question is? It's a question whose answer is so obvious that you don't have to answer it. But just to be clear, the answer that Jonah is supposed to have for God's question is no. Okay, God says, do you have good reason to be angry? And the answer is no. Okay. But Jonah's so caught in his own misery and wishing he was dead that he doesn't realize this. Or maybe he doesn't want to realize this. The text isn't that specific. Okay. And I want to step back for a second. Um, Dr. Williams spoke about anger a couple weeks ago, right? You were all here. Nodding, shaking, okay? There are sometimes very good reasons to be angry. We're going to unpack that in a little bit. God's been angry in this, in this book twice already. He was unhappy with Jonah when Jonah disobeyed him, and he sent a storm, and God was about to annihilate Nineveh, okay? So the anger isn't really the issue here. It's the reason for the anger that the Lord is questioning,
And because the Lord is patient and compassionate, and what did Jonah himself say? Slow to anger. Something like that. That was in the fish. Okay? Um, the Lord teaches, tries to set him up again so that he actually sees what he's doing. So Jonah, in verse 5 of chapter 4, Jonah goes out from the city and sits to the east of the city. And ding, 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 east, bad. Okay? That's like one of those biblical tropes. When, they, when Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden, they get kicked out to the east. Okay? Jonah is basically exiling himself. And over on the, on, to the east of the city, he makes a shelter for himself, and he sits under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to the city. Jonah's still hoping something happens to Nineveh. Okay? And he's not rejoicing about Nineveh's repentance. Okay? He should have been singing like the gospel choir. Okay? He should have been overjoyed that all these people turned to the Lord. Singing at the top of his lungs. And he's not. He's watching to see if they might, after all, get destroyed. Okay? So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant and it withered. And it came about when the sun came up that God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Okay. Um, I like gardening a lot, but I don't feel that kind of affection for plants. They're not animate things in that way, okay? So when we're reading this, what I want you to see is that the Lord is creating a situation where Jonah is developing affection and compassion for something. And in this case, it was a plant that was going to give him shade. Okay? I have hair. I don't need a plant for shade. Okay? Um, I can't relate to Jonah that way. I can relate a lot to certain other biblical characters who get stuck in a tree by their hair. It's a different story. Okay? But you picture, right, you picture Jonah and he's way too hot. And yesterday he had this plant and he was happy when he had the plant because the plant comforted him. And today he's upset and he's angry again because the plant died, okay? And you're like, yeah, I just don't get it because it's a plant. Well, what if it was a puppy? Hmm. What if it was a phone? Something that the Lord gives us to comfort us or that provides comfort for us and then he takes away. Is this feeling a little bit more icky now? Okay. So, when Jonah's there saying that he wants to die again, the Lord asks him again, Jonah, 
Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And somehow Jonah says, yes, I have good reason to be angry even to death. It's like, I am so stuck in my misery here that I want to die. Okay? Because of the plant, because of the puppy, because of the phone. We allow these things to cause us so much misery that we, we lose sight of reasons to live. Okay? And the Lord says to Jonah, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and, for which, and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know the difference between their right and their left hand, as well as many animals? Who's wicked and violent now? Jonah. Because Jonah was sitting there so miserable about his plant that he wanted the Lord to destroy this city which had all these people in it and a whole lot of animals. Puppies. Okay? So my paraphrase of what the Lord says to Jonah is, Jonah, you're angry because your plant died, but you were okay with me killing 120,000 people just because you don't like them? Okay, so we have Jonah and the plant. We have the Lord and Nineveh. And we also have the Lord and Jonah. Okay, this whole book is about God having mercy on Jonah. Okay? And jo that's where the book ends. We don't know what Jonah's response was. What should his response have been? Jonah needs to repent of his wicked and violent heart. We've already had two examples of people who turn to the Lord and repent in this book, the sailors and the Ninevites. And yet Jonah is so stuck in his own self-righteousness that there's no indication here that he realizes that he, the prophet of the Lord, he also needs to repent. Okay, and we do that. We know that you should repent, and you should repent, and you should repent, but I'm the dean, so I don't have to repent. That's what he's doing. Okay? And so the lesson here, as you and I read Jonah, is that who you are or what your role is does not absolve you from needing to examine your own heart. Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate that, okay? From needing to examine your own heart 
and checking ourselves against what the Lord thinks is worthy of anger. Okay? So as I, as I thought about this and why Jonah's angry, I, th- I think about anger and I think because of, you know, my family, because that's where we learn how to think about things. Um, in my family, anger was a very strong emotion. So it was okay to be angry. Um, it was not so much okay to cry. Okay, so when I think of anger and when I get angry, I feel good about myself. You, you feel strong, and you feel like you can affect change, and you feel like you're, you are very self-righteous, okay? And it puts you right at the center of your thinking when you're angry. Now, in my older, wiser years, I've also learned that anger is what they call a secondary emotion, which means, ready? This is like a $5,000 piece of advice here if you're paying for therapy. You feel something and you don't like that, so you just go straight to anger. So maybe Jonah's hurt, so he goes straight to anger. Maybe he's embarrassed, so he goes straight to anger, okay? Maybe I'm offended, and so I go straight to anger, okay? There are very healthy ways to deal with those primary emotions, but we often just gloss right over them into anger. So whatever Jonah's was here, it doesn't tell us. The Lord's calling him on the spot for his anger, the reasons for his anger. Okay? And so you're probably thinking to yourself, well, she's making some points, but I don't have an anger problem. Well, you may not have a temper problem. But if our anger is in our hearts, we all have a problem. Right? It's not about whether you can control your anger. The Lord is honing in on Jonah's reasons for being angry. And remember the rhetorical question. The answer is that Jonah is not justified here. In Jonah's thinking, he's putting himself in the place of God. He wants to decide where he goes, what he does, what he says, and who gets to live. And this is the exact opposite of what he said when he was in the belly of the fish, when he says, salvation is from the Lord. Okay? The Lord decides who gets to live. Who deserves mercy? Jonah's feelings about the Ninevites are not a good basis for his anger here. Okay? When we are angry and we put ourselves at the center of our worldview, we're occupying the place that should be the Lord's. The place that should have the gospel right in it. That's what Jonah needs to repent of. That's what you and I need to repent of. In a very real sense, we start making decisions on the basis of our own thinking and feeling, which does not match up with what the Lord is thinking and feeling. 
The Lord was legitimately angry because of Nineveh's wickedness and violence. That's not why Jonah was angry. He was angry because he was uncomfortable. And he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Two very set, different sets of reasons. Okay? So the lesson for us here is that you and I, we're Jonah. And we should be like the Ninevites. Because the Ninevites listen to the prophet of the Lord and they repent. And they repent big. Okay? So once I realized that, I was like, oh man. How am I going to remind myself that I'm the one who needs to repent? So if you've ever been in my office, it's just like a big mess of post-it notes. And so I put one right behind my computer screen, right above the computer screen, so that anytime I'm typing, I have a note right there that says, do you have good reason to be angry? And I am embarrassed to tell you that that note has checked me way too many times over the last two years. Okay. So friends, what are you angry about? And what do you need to repent of? And if the Lord's talking to you, Brenda, John, Andrew, Emma, Jocelyn, Keith, Courtney, Tim, Andrea, Emily, and he says, do you have good reason to be angry? What's your response? Let's pray. Holy Lord, how little repentance there is in the world and how many sins I have to repent of. I'm troubled for my sin of anger, for the shame and horror of it as an evil. I purpose to give way to it no more and come to thee for strength to that end. Most people give vent to anger frequently and are overcome by it, bringing many excuses and extenuations for it, as that it occurs suddenly, that they delight not in it, that they are sorry afterwards, and that godly people commit it. They thus seek peace after outbursts of anger, by entire forgetfulness of it, or by skinning over their wound, they hope for healing without peace in Christ's blood. Lord God, I know that my sudden anger arises when things cross me, and I desire to please only myself, not Christ. There is in all wrongs and crosses a double cross, that which crosses me and that which crosses thee. In all good things, there is somewhat that pleases me 
and somewhat that pleases thee. My sin is that my heart is pleased or troubled as things please or trouble me without my having any regard for Christ. Thus, I am like Eli, the subject of punishment for not rebuking sin. Whereas I should humbly confess my sin and fly to the blood of Christ for pardon and peace. Give then, give me then, repentance, true brokenness, lasting contrition. For these things thou wilt not despise in spite of my sin. Amen. You're dismissed. <laughs> <laughs>